is Revelations Radio News with Andrew Hoffman and Tim Kilkenny on the Revelations Radio Network. Podcasting to you from the seaside town of Edmonds, Washington, where I and my co-hosts are back by popular demand. I am Tim Kilkenny. And from Hood River, Oregon, uh, where I didn't even know that many people listened to the show. I'm Andrew Hoffman. <laughs> so we're, of course, uh, talking about our last show. Uh, you know, we were talking about whether or not to, to, uh, to hang it up. Just an idea. Um, you know, I just w- wanted to make sure that we were doing stuff that was, um, that was, uh, you know, that it meant something to somebody, you know, that it was somewhat rewarding uh, for somebody because I didn't want to just do a show just to do a show. And uh, in unbelievable fashion, a lot of people uh, began to start emailing us. So, um, yeah. And we, we had actually, I mean, kind of right after the show, we decided to that we were going to keep going. Yeah, uh, it was, yeah. I, so I, I didn't kinda, necessarily change our mind, but it was, thank you very much to everyone that sure. and emailed I kinda, the encouragement. I felt bad. I kind of left it. I pulled a cheap, a cheap thing. I kind of left it like, maybe we won't be back next week. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't mean it like that. I meant just because we're so inconsistent in general. Um, but... Uh, yeah, 22 emails came in, at least one tweet. Um, we've never been one to read emails on the show. Every now and then we try. Remember the old listener feedback I was going to do every month, everybody? Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we haven't been one to read emails, but it, we got a, a real outpouring of uh, people. Uh, 22 emails is pretty awesome. Uh, that's, you know, that's about 21 more that we get usually on a, on yep. a, on a normal week. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, Really, really cool to uh, hear from everybody, and also really cool of Andrew to respond to most of them because I did not. Uh, I just was going to try and tackle them all at once, and uh, they just stacked up pretty quick, though. I think Andrew must have seen it. He must have saw your inbox fill up, and then just like, geez, I better start answering some of these. Yeah, and there were, yeah, some very, uh, very encouraging, and um, it was, there was, Good information in there, too. It's good to hear from people. So. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's good information for sure. The idea of, uh, you know, it, it seems like, you know, even a couple, I think we got one or two non-Christians that emailed, but it seems like we might be doing a ministry to encourage Christians. <laughs> it seems like a lot of a lot of, uh, a lot of Christians uh, that were emailing uh, and just wanted to hear our point of view. I think the one that touched me the most we got in the first day or two, but it just said, you guys can't quit. There's not very many Christian anarcho peace lovers out there. And <laughs> it's just thought that was the one that hit me right away. I was like, okay, this guy's got a valid point. If that's my role, a, a Christian anarcho peace lover, then uh, I'm, you know, I can, Which, I, I can uh, keep that up. There really should be. There should be a lot of those out there. A lot of anarcho peace lovers. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, you would think, I mean, I think it's, pretty consistent with christianity but i think i, I think this is the united states of america so <laughs> <laughs> point counterpoint yeah 
uh, a lot more consistent than um, the the warfare state. That's right. <clears throat> and as uh, even the the great James Corbett emailed us, uh, somebody's got to take on Trump. That's right. You know, um, <laughs> if it's a, a little podcast from the Northwest, then that'll be what, what it'll be. Yeah. Every once in a while, it's like. I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. And I think the um, the emotion behind the Trump support is in lots of ways positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but come on, people. This is not. Donald Trump is not going to save you. <laughs> oh, man. Did you throw a whopper in? You threw a whopper in the, uh, in the secret folder. So. There's a couple, but, uh, couple things here in the secret well, folder. Well, big news, speaking of James Corbett. Yes. Yeah. He he had on yeah. uh, Dr. Future, Dr. Dr. Michael Bennett. Dr. Michael Bennett went on the, the James Corbett show, uh, the Corbett Report, which was a really great interview. Um, Showing I, again why James Corbett uh, is a good interviewer and... No offense to us, not the best. <laughs> not the best, but that's why we stay away from the format. That's that's right. But uh, James James also, uh, you know, may have kept Doctor Future under the uh, the sixty minute mark. Thirty eight minutes. Thirty eight minutes, which may be a new record for podcasts with uh, with with Doctor Future, who who likes to say, "Why say in ten words what you could say in a hundred? Yeah. Now, <laughs> my question is because yes. the the interview did not sound edited. I have done an interview segment with him before. I think you did the you did one. No, you did the uh, the uh, what's the one called? Film literature in the New World Order. That was not edited, though, was it? No, I don't think so. No, it's not, he 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 goes straight through. He does an interview. That's part of the reason for his success. He's so polished. That he immediately starts, stops, and there's no editing. There's no going back and taking this part out or this part out. I did an interview with him uh, about the uh, open source software, and it, the whole thing was in there, whole cloth, just boom. That's what it is. But I, I guess I don't understand. I mean, usually Doctor Future's not done saying hello <laughs> 30. at the thirty-eight minute mark. <laughs> It's maybe when only when he maybe he wasn't maybe he was a little under the weather yeah he's off his game maybe when he's uh, you, amongst... you know what's funny is we we should uh, take some grief from him for this but I don't think he listens to our show this is a valid point this is yeah. a valid point I I I think you're I think that's uh, that's uh, that's probably true so so he he's a busy man he is a busy man and he's a source of our show. Um, He's more of a source for our show than it is if he listens to it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And we might as well just just finish it up. Did I put this in there or did you put it in there? I, I put it in there. Okay. Because I also uh, subscribe to it. Uh, Dr. Future, a.k.a. J. Michael Bennett, is now a blogger. So it is uh, two spies report dot wordpress dot com. Mm-hmm. Very avant garde going with the WordPress blog. Mm-hmm. 
um, oh no, I was thinking of something else. The what's the free website builder with all the applications and whatever that you can add in? Is it? It's not WordPress. It's something Word, else. I believe it's WordPress. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That they're always like <clears throat> somewhat. You're somewhat taking a chance of whether it's going to be a Trojan horse for something evil or not, but uh, very convenient though if you're if you're into website oh, hold making. On, hold on a second. I've made many WordPress sites. What is your impression of WordPress sites? Our 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 website run on WordPress. No, I'm saying like when you to add stuff in. There's the like hardcore. Uh, Security-minded people are always worried about using WordPress plugins. Ah, yeah, so. sure, sure. That is, that is true uh, because they use certain. Well, yeah, you can set them to use different ports, but I do kind of hear what you're saying. But it should be, yeah, it's uh, for the website itself. So WordPress.com should be almost foolproof. That's going to be through the cloud and those all those things should be tested up pretty well it's when you start using wordpress on your own website for instance ours that you can start getting a lot of the uh, malicious login attempts and stuff like that yeah and you know there's a lot of people out there no offense to wordpress builders but you know that leave password set as password which is yeah so Yeah, he's got a blog, which is pretty awesome. It's about the spiritual view of the war on terror. He starts right out with, uh, goodness, the uh, five pillars of the Christians around him. What is this? I mean, that is... Yeah, and I, if you put it into DuckDuckGo and just put two spies report in, mm-hmm. it's not the first entry, but it is like the third one, so easy to find Okay, that way. But uh, two spies report dot wordpress Mike's five pillars of discontent that he sees in the American Christian Church today. You want to hear? Um. Well, yeah, maybe a maybe an overview. I already read it myself, but I'll just read the five. Yeah, okay, maybe we'll discuss. Yeah. No- number one, lack of empathy. Number two, no ability of self introspection. Number three, a disdain for quality research, reading, and diverse education. Number four, no concern for the impact their pursuits have on others. And number five, a lack of duty to their brother's keeper, or to be their brother's keeper. I, I thought you were going to read the whole thing. That's why I was hesitant. But those are... Yes, and they, those are developed in uh, much greater detail. And all kidding aside, Dr. Future is an excellent writer. He's an amazing writer. Yep. Oh, wow. We're, we're even mentioned in here. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. Examples of what's wrong with the church. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Moving on. You have a whopper in here. I did not see until I opened the secret folder. Moments after, actually, when we started our show. And so I'm jumping right to it because I want to hear it. Okay. 400 church leaders will resign this Saturday or this Sunday. Um, which I don't know if that happened or not because it was supposed to be this past Sunday. 
this came from relevantmagazine.com, which people may or may not be familiar with. Um, kind of a, it's a Christian magazine um, geared to try and be relevant, as the name suggests. Expert 400 church leaders will resign this Sunday because names surfaced in Ashley Madison Hack. The Ashley Madison Hack will have a serious effect on churches. According to Ed Stetzer, as many 400 pastors, deacons, elders, and church staff members may resign this Sunday after their names surfaced on the list of users revealed in the Ashley Madison Hack. <clears throat> in a post on his Christianity Today blog, the exchange, Stetzer said the number is based on conversations with leaders from several denominations in the U.S. and Canada, adding, to be honest, the number of pastors and church leaders on Ashley Madison is much lower than the number of those looking to have an, an affair, which is valid statement, uh, along with being a contributing matter for Christianity Today, author and professor Stetzer is the executive director of LifeWay Research and a well-regarded expert on church leadership. He is also the executive editor of the Christian leadership publication Facts and Trends. All that to say, Stetzer is well-informed and his number is likely accurate. Former social conservative, conservative lobbyist and Christian reality TV star Josh Duggar and Christian blogger Sam Rader recently released their own statements, acknowledging that they were both users of the site which facilitates adultery. Um, <clears throat> so, I haven't attempted to see any follow-up. I don't know if there's a way to actually compile that. But well, there's a lot of uh, a lot of chatter about this in the comments. I'm noticing. I think uh, R.C. Sproul Jr. was on there, okay, and he. Um, admitted that it you know was him he didn't argue that it was someone just using his email address unlike tony blair come on tony blair fess up oh come on like tony blair so I, it's funny because i <laughs> have i heard i actually never mind I, we went over this already but I, I i still run into people on day to day when we talk about this like yeah but there's a lot of people using fake names like barack obama and tony blair i'm like why why <laughs> <laughs> why is why is that what does that mean to you like wh why is that fake name i don't understand how yeah what do you mean so you're saying <laughs> you don't think that i mean they can get girls any way they want i mean maybe i'm wrong but it just yeah i don't get it well what would, what would the point be of spending money to sign up under someone else's name i mean you would choose like an anonymous name right sure if you wanted an alias you would use like some name no one ever heard of you wouldn't use barack obama or tony blair because if you showed up to meet someone they'd be like hey you're not barack obama yeah that's a valid point it's a valid point and that's just just enough of a megalomaniac to use your actual name like tony blair at gmail.com yeah <laughs> that's me Woo! i use gmail that's what all the mi5 guys told me to use yeah <laughs> So anyway, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of talk about this. Church leaders will resign this Sunday because their names have surfaced. There's really no way to prove it, but it is uh, at least, very, at the very least, noteworthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very sad, and um, you know, there's, and like we talked about before as well. There was a lot of scam aspect to the website too. Yes, I yes. mean not not just people might have gone on there to try and have an affair, or whatever. Quite possibly, 
didn't have an affair but did get blackmailed into giving more and more money. Yes. But, so. Yes, and uh, I've, I've heard a couple new things. One, that it may be an inside source uh, woman who took down the whole the website uh, who had, had been, you know... Uh, Done wrong by the website, obviously. And the, another another thing I heard recently was that the less excuse me that less than one percent of the registers were female. Right. <laughs> Meaning that, you know, how how often were these hookups happening? I also heard another rumor, someone saying that there was over five hundred uh, different profiles set up in different con- you know parts of the country with all the same picture and the right. exact same woman. So. There was definitely that aspect to it. Right. So and um, you know, I mean, you hire a model, you take pictures of her, and then you create a profile and and use that to make people think that they're getting what they're paying for, basically. Like, oh, it's too bad we're in a different part of the country and can't actually meet up. But I can't believe that a, a website based on cheating would yeah. be so <laughs> dishonest. <laughs> it is shocking. It's Who true. can you trust if you can't trust a cheating website? <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mean, did you hear James's input on this? Uh, no, no. Uh, James said, you know, he had a, he had a valid point. He says everybody's going to point and laugh at these, you know, people, and uh, it's real easy to to you know not stand up for the rights of the citizen whose public information is now out there when they're you know these people who are you know unfaithful. Uh, but you know, this is the future of the internet. It shows you right. what happens when, you know, some of your data is released. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, if the full internet was made public, you know, what are we looking at here? So, uh, kind of an interesting take on it. And well, it, you could easily, um, even if it's not, uh, sexual or pornographic or what have you, if, if someone selectively, took your browsing history they could make you look like a terrorist if you listen to our show and click on the stories that we talk about or yeah you know or um oh they frequented extremist websites um this is an extremist website what are you talking yeah, about <laughs> so i've i've got a related story okay and um one of the emails that we received was from a listener in australia mm-hmm and she actually complimented us on talking about stuff that happens in Australia, which um, is just kind of, I guess, coincidence. It's not an um, intentional focus of the show, but she appreciated that. And I I told her that there's, um, other than the U.S., more people have um, purchased my book from Australia Australia than any other country. So there's definitely some... Uh, some, I guess, like-minded people down there. <clears throat> However, there's also a big nanny, global warming, uh, gun-grabbing police state going on. And that's what this story is about. Uh, data retention and the end of Australians' digital privacy. Let me scroll down here. The digital privacy of Australians ends from Tuesday, October 13th. So the fact you uh, visited a porn site or infidelity site, Ashley Madison, or jihadi content sites may in effect be discoverable without the need for a warrant. And that's a, a quote from later on. On that day, this country's entire communications industry will be turned into 
a surveillance and monitoring arm of at least 21 agencies of executive government. The electronically logged data of mobile, landline voice, including missed and failed calls and text messages, all emails, download volumes, and location information will be mandatorily retained by Australian telcos and ISPs. Intelligence and law enforcement agencies will have immediate, warrantless, and accumulating access to all telephone and internet metadata required by law, with a $2 million penalty for telcos and ISPs that don't comply. There is no sunset clause in the Abbott government's legislation, which was waived through Parliament by Bill Shorten's labor with only minor tweaks. The service providers are to keep a secret register of the agency seeking access to metadata and the identity of the persons being targeted. There is nothing in the act to prevent investigative phishing expeditions or systemic abuse of power, except for retrospective oversight by the Commonwealth Ombudsman. If you somehow found out about an agency looking into your metadata, which is unlikely, as there is a two-year jail sentence for anyone caught revealing information about instances of metadata access, so they can't tell you that the government's been looking at your data. <clears throat> or, that's illegal. Looking at your data? That's okay. Government will be able to do that um, with no oversight. Uh, telling you that the government looked at your data two-year jail sentence. Over time, your metadata will expose your private email, SMS, and fixed-line color traffic, consumer, work and professional activities and habits, showing the patterns of all your communications, your commercial transactions and monetized subscriptions or downloads, exactly who you communicate with and how often. People are being asked by the federal parliament to accept that this regime of agency access is vitally necessary for national security at a time of geopolitical tension, jihadi recruitment, and the war on terror. But in a country where the biggest terrorism threat comes from lone wolves or random acts of terror, it's a system that appears singularly ill-equipped to catch terrorists. What it does is render privacy a thing of Australia's past. Um, Let's see. Security, intelligence, and law enforcement access to metadata, which overrides personal privacy, is now in contention worldwide. In the U.S., the recently passed Freedom Act constrains security agencies' access to call records not considered essential for preventing terror attacks. In Israel, facing far more immediate security concerns than Australia, there is no mandatory metadata retention law as it is not seen as a proportionate response to the security threats the country faces. Ah, so... Israel doesn't see the need for this, but Australia does. Yeah, a couple, couple quick things. Yep. Number one, doesn't it seem like it, Australia is a testing ground for a lot of this crap? Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, we always say England's like 10 years ahead of us. Yeah, well, for a lot of on the... different stuff. I feel like they're just, right. I feel like, especially the three of us, England, Australia, and the United States, um, and it's the United States' little brother, well, call it, Canada. They, uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, their surveillance. England still looks at us and Australia as colonies. So that's about that's what. <laughs> yeah, um, but this seems just interesting. They're taking the surveillance a little bit further um, with the Australians, and it seems like this is like, let's see what the people say about it. We'll give it a whirl. You know, like 
that's you know we already know that they use way more cameras and everything in in the UK. This is like, hey, let's crack down on the internet, see how it ha- you know, see what how the people react before we do this, you know, in in the other countries, in the other colonies. Right. Uh, my second thing. How many terrorists out there, for for instance, uh, Jihadi John or uh, uh, <laughs> working Al- for John McCain, Al Baghdadi, <laughs> or uh, uh, what is it? Uh, I, I can't even think of any more. There's, there's got to be some more. But how many of those guys are screaming out je- death to Australia? Right. Serious. Like, I mean, even if you convince me they're coming from America, and you can't. Uh, there's no way in the world you could convince me that they're going like, oh yeah, they're gonna it's a, they're gonna launch a terror attack in Australia. Like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> no, no, it's not happening. If there's a terror attack in Australia, it's it's gonna be the government. Well, and um, they don't focus. Well, I guess I should keep going. You want me to keep going with the article, and then we'll if you want. I mean, it is it is pretty long, but. Uh, Technology analyst Nick Abrahams of law firm Norton Rose at Fulbright told Fairfax Media the European Union Court of Justice had declared an EU directive invalid last year, causing member states, including Britain, into a review and reform scramble. But in contrast, China is expanding its data retention laws. In China, there are wide powers coming for relevant government agencies to request information, including the right to request any encryption software used by the telcos, Abrahams said. What is metadata good for? Okay, so, well, um, there's some more good stuff in there, but we'll we'll wrap it up. Uh, since I I work for an ISP, um, currently, like, let's say you're having phone issues, right? You say, hey, my phone my phone call cut out. What's wrong? Right. Um, we can go back if you know what time it was and look and see okay here's the connection from this time to that time and there was either no problem with it or it looks like there was a problem with it someone's cell phone cut out or the phone you know whatever happened um currently that call data i think is uh available for 30 days and um but it's to find something, and it's not the actual conversation. It's call was made from here to there. But it's such an easy way to to um, to justify slapping much more invasive surveillance on somebody. Because you say, because remember they said, uh, "Oh, we're not keeping track of d- domestic phone traffic. It's only." You know, if you're talking overseas to someone that could be a terrorist, then we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Well, it's all you do is have one hang-up call from overseas, and you could justify listening to someone all the rest of their phone calls. And metadata is devastatingly effective, as the article goes on to say. In that, say there. Yeah, I mean, metadata uh, can. I mean, it can paint a very, very vivid picture. But the the NSA level stuff is like the actual content as well. So it's even there's lies within lies just saying, Oh, it's just metadata. Well, there's 
<laughs> it goes way beyond metadata too. So I don't know. Interesting article. And um, just it's more evidence of the world government uh, plot in motion when you see these same processes happening um, country after country after country. So I have, I would posit that we are the testing grounds for Soma <laughs> and, and bread and circuses. Uh, UK is the testing ground for just mass camera surveillance. And it looks like the uh, Australia has gone from cap and trade to mass internet surveillance testing ground. Yeah. So, and the, they're also, they've got really strict gun control too. As Oh, that's right. They have, a, yes, 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 yes. They have these gun control. Yeah. Bunch of, uh, so first a somewhat positive uh Donald Trump story. Oh no. Cuz he's being attacked uh cuz he's anti mandatory vaccines. So got to give credit where credit is due. Uh this comes from edgytruth.com. They're in anti-vax website one of my favorites um maybe you find him to be a misogynist maybe you find him crass and rude maybe you think the greater part of his policy is still undefined and largely um backed by held back by an experience that however doesn't change one component that holds true in donald trump's campaign he's making a lot of people really nervous and that includes big pharma and I think that's the reason why people do like Donald Trump is he seems to be making lots of people nervous. So that's good. I just don't think they have any real reason to be nervous. Big farm is um, nervous. Uh-oh. <laughs> at the heart of the uneasiness for vaccine proponents and pharmaceutical companies is Trump's stance that measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine could have links to autism. He's also commonly said that mass injections were just bad in general proposing that the vaccine should at least be spread out. <gasps> Shocking. In February, he said this, you can't pump that much fluid into a little baby's body, and I think it's having an effect. Um, claiming he knew at least two people where their child is totally healthy, they get pumped up with this huge pile of liquid with many different vaccines, and their child turns out to be autistic after it. Um, and now the experts, in quotation marks, are taking notice, um, so it's got quotes from people bashing him for it. As reported by New York Daily News, as a political scientist, I think it's extremely unlikely he'll win the nomination, but his prominence does run the risk of bringing his views on vaccines back in the spotlight, said Dartmouth University professor Brendan Nyan, who has done research on why the anti-vaccine movement's conspiracy theories have been so hard to dispel. Oh, I don't know. Um... Of the things he says that are wrong, this is the most direct threat to you, you and your children's health. People like Donald Trump who spread misinformation on vaccines could cause more parents to opt out of vaccinating their children, which not only puts their children at risk, but puts our herd immunity at risk. If enough <gasps> parents stop vaccinating, we put society at risk. <gasps> I said, while you might not like all of his stances or lack thereof, he could prove to be an ally in the war on mandatory vaccinations and even further offer a refreshing perspective from such a powerful seat. Believing he has no chance at winning this election is largely naive. Um, 
Now, someone asked Donald Trump, who um, kind of like Hillary Clinton claims that the Bible is his favorite book, um, what his favorite Bible verse was. The one about and, divorce. <laughs> um, and he dodged the question. Which he does quite a bit for someone who's supposedly so like straightforward and abrasive and what have you, um, and so people made up uh, <laughs> fake Donald Trump favorite Bible verses. So here's a few of them, and again, these are things people made up um, on Twitter and what have you. You may have seen these, Tim. You're you're on Twitter. Uh, there is room at the end, but Mary and Joseph refuse to stay there because it is low class and a dump. Hashtag Trump Bible. I, I lost a lot of respect for the, for the Pharaoh. Never should have let the Hebrews go. Because of what? Hail? The Hebrews love me. Hashtag Trump Bible. Um, and Moses went to Pharaoh and said to him, let my people go. And Pharaoh did because Moses knew how to negotiate. <laughs> um... Don't get me wrong. Jesus, great guy, classy, but a terrible executive. I would never tolerate a traitor within my organization. Uh, this pilot, I don't know. I can't work with him. Wishy-washy. What is truth this? Wash my hands that. You're in charge. Make a call. Hey, that that traitor one, uh, that's, uh, that's, a, uh, that's not, a, that's not a, uh, a Bible verse fake Bible verse that is exclusive to Donald Trump. That is the entire Republican Party. Right. <laughs> a lot of these um, are in, in one way or another. I mean, yeah. Have you ever read Jesus, Friend of Terrorists? Um, no, I think I j I've just heard an interview about it. Yeah, uh, that was on Future Quake. Yep, I have a copy here. I'll try and send. I'll send one your way. But uh, you know, Richard Warnbrandt wrote a short little breed called uh, Jesus, Friend of Terrorists. He used a, a pseudo name, which is interesting for a guy who was in the Gulag, right? In in in, in the in Soviet Union, tortured for uh, two different uh, times for several years for his Christian uh, faith. But then when writing a book called Jesus, Friend of Terrorists in the United States, eh, maybe I'll just use a pseudonym. You know, maybe I'll just use a yeah. pseudonym. <laughs> like, eh, you know, why not? Uh, but it, yeah, ends up being Richard Warbrandt. And it's an amazing book. It talks about how the terrorist, a true terrorist, is after the heart of Jesus and, and how and why. And and uh, uh, talks about, you know, good ways to, to, to bring the Christian faith to a true terrorist. Um in uh, a lot of the ways that uh, what we're doing currently with the fighting of the terrorists doesn't work. Yes. Believe it or not, uh, bombing places doesn't really... So you're telling me... Doesn't really spread the gospel. If there's a couple hundred people somewhere on the planet that are willing to maybe bomb some of the stuff that you're into and some of the people that you know... Bombing their entire country, putting sanctions on them, and killing millions of people isn't the best way to handle it. 
in a Christian that, way. That's what I'm saying. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's kind of a radical point of view, Andrew. This yeah. is America. I, I shall remind you. Yeah. Um, what can be done about ISIS, according to uh, good once old, again relevant magazine? Yeah. I, I obviously stumbled onto both story this story while I was looking at the other one. Uh, the widespread slaughter of Christians in the Middle East is ushering in an unprecedented religious and humanitarian crisis. I don't know if I would call it unprecedented. Um, well, it's, un- it's, it's been an unprecedented hot year this year. Year over year, it's hotter. It's, yeah, you know, I think people use uh, unprecedented to mean like very or extreme right. or but they but unprecedented would mean that this has never happened before right and the widespread slaughter of christians in the middle east i believe has happened before well you know what i like to say this is literally the best (laughs) podcast ever so (laughs) so i mean and donald trump is literally hitler so this watch out for that this podcast will literally uh go out to Knock your ears off. <laughs> All right. We, is, we, we got an unprecedented amount of emails this, this, this week? That is true. That's true, right? This is a proper use yeah. of the word. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Unprecedented for us. Yeah. Unprecedented yeah. amount of emails for us this week. Yeah. On, back to the story. Here we go. On any given day in Iraq, people could bleed to death in church Nine-year-old girls could be sold into sexual slavery. Priests and pastors could be threatened, robbed, harassed, extorted, kidnapped, crucified, tortured, or beheaded. All this because they believe in Jesus or cared for the poor and vulnerable in his name. Up until this year, the Christian community in Iraq, a community that first heard the gospel from the apostles themselves, thrived for nearly 2,000 years. Now it faces the threat of extinction. The Syriac Orthodox Archbishop of Mosul says what has happened to Christians in his city, Iraq's second largest city, can be described in a single word, genocide. The extremist terrorist organization responsible for this genocide is the Islamic State of the United States. Oh, no, I added that part. Sorry. (laughs) A a terrorist group so brutal they have been excommunicated by Al-Qaeda. That was bogus, but anyway. The group brings an incarnation of hell into monasteries and churches, into the homes of peace-loving believers and the streets of ancient cities, where severed heads of those who oppose them routinely sit on public display. Last year, I visited Iraq. There, I met an elderly nun, Sister Maria Hanna, who told me that Christianity in Iraq is bleeding. We are extremely exhausted, she said. Every day we hope tomorrow will be better, but our tomorrow seemed to bring only more tears and hardship. <clears throat> For the first time in 1,600 years, no church bells ring in Iraq's second largest city. ISIS militants bombed the city's most famous and ancient Christian buildings and burned ancient Christian manuscripts. The group so thoroughly cleansed the city of Christians and Christianity that they even carved out crosses from tombstones. The only Christians remaining in Iraq's Christian heartland, the Nineveh Plains, are hostages or women in slavery. At its very core, ISIS represents unrelenting hatred for Christians and seeks their total elimination. All right. So we get the idea. Uh, What's, well, let me, 
Okay, and then skipping down to the solution part, because that was what the article was supposed to be about. Uh, Christians and Muslims must stand together. In one week in late 2013, ISIS militants ransacked more than 40 of Egypt's most well-known and oldest churches. Wait, was ISIS even around in 2013? I thought that was a different group, but anyway. Uh, that was part of the Arab Spring, I thought. Maybe I could be wrong. Uh, many Christians were injured, some were killed, nearly all the Christians in the country were gripped once again by a sudden sense of insecurity. This was the latest in a series of escalating threats against the ancient Christian community in Egypt, and they continue today. The incidents are numerous, with some especially disgusting, such as when extremist mobs attacked the, attacked the home villages of some of the 21 Coptic martyrs in order to stop the construction of a church in honor of family members whom ISIS beheaded. Despite the growing threat of Islamic extremism in Egypt, repeated incidents occur of Muslims locking hands and surrounding Christian churches in order to keep the mobs from attacking. In fact, the president of Egypt, a Muslim, is the one who ordered a Christian church built in honor of the Coptic martyrs. Within weeks of ISIS's lightning-fast advance in Iraq and Syria in 2014, 126 of the world's top Islamic scholars issued an open letter to ISIS leader Abu Bakir al-Baghdadi, criticizing him for the awful Islamic theology that dictates the horror this group inflicts on the world. This letter outlines 24 specific areas in which ISIS's actions directly oppose Islamic teaching. In their point-by-point refutation of ISIS's ideology, the authors are even patronizing at points. They mock the ISIS leader for grammatical errors and misinterpretations of basic Arab words. Well, come on, he works for the CIA. I was going to say, like yeah, it's just yeah, a... The, the, it's the second language for him. It's not their first language. <laughs> Regarding Christians, the letter is clear. These Christians are not combatants against Islam. Indeed, they are our friends, neighbors, and co-citizens. Actually, my own concern for Christians in the Middle East didn't begin with Christians at all. It began with the Muslim. The man who introduced me to the plight of Christians in the Middle East is the King of Jordan. A Muslim is considered a direct descendant, yada, yada, yada. Okay, um... All right, uh, and then the next section, uh, embrace prayer, not fatalism. I know of a pastor in Iraq named Joseph. One day when he heard ISIS was approaching his village, he ran from house to house, warning people that their lives were in danger. But he ran out of time. His village included too many Christians, and there were too few hours left. The roads were crowded with those exiting, and it became apparent that not everyone could make it out. Joseph knew a particular family that probably would not make it, a family he loved. He rushed to their home and told them, When ISIS arrives, they will come to your door and they will ask you if you are a Christian or Muslim. I would tell them I am a follower of, follower of Jesus. It was a coy bit of advice given that Muslims consider Jesus a prophet. But of course, there's no way around ISIS identifying them as members of Iraq's Christian community. Joseph left them with one word of advice before dashing off to the next group. If you choose to not convert, he told them, then just know it will only, will only hurt for a second. I am praying for you. Isis indeed arrived before the family of four could flee. It only hurt them for a second. In a real sense, we are witnessing a new Fox's Book of Martyrs being written every single day in the Middle East. As Christians, we often react two different ways when we read stories like these. We can embrace a sense of fatalism. This reaction compels us to embrace and face suffering and to trust God in it. Um, consequently, we don't feel particularly inspired to, to stop it. 
in this reaction, we failed to understand the great history of sacrifice deeply rooted in the Christian church. We failed to see how suffering strengthens the church and causes the church to grow. We only see the darkness, never the glimmer of light that shines when a Christian, young or old, dies in the name of Jesus. The Bible teaches us to live both realities. We are to embrace the inevitability of suffering and even martyrdom, even as we cry out for justice and fight to rescue those whose lives are threatened because of their faith in Jesus Christ alone. We should celebrate the sacrifice of our brothers and sisters, all while we pray, as the Apostle Paul advises the church in Thessalonica, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. This isn't a season for our churches. Um, so the, I th- agree with the overall point, right? I mean, you right. can't argue with the piece that is missing is the, f- and the author of the article is not saying go bomb them at all. Sure. He's saying pray for them, you know, work with Muslims. Um, but we should be, Concerned in doing something, right? Right. He's not saying war. Um, but there is another piece to that, and that's if you... Uh, I heard a good interview recently with Sabelle Edmonds uh, on the Lou Rockwell podcast. Okay. And she says, ISIS are us. <laughs> and um, talking about the funding and the different back and forth and... Um, this is just a new iteration of the U.S. funding Islamic extremists for geopolitical means. Funding, arming, equipping. Um, it's just that it's a rebranding of Al-Qaeda. Um, it's, <laughs> it's the same script over and over again. And I think until Christians... Acknowledge that and <laughs> s- stop <laughs> falling for it. Stop feeding it, feeding the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, it w- it will continue. Absolutely. If only we knew someone that could write a a a, uh, a book, a seven volume masterpiece, a book that would describe the way that the American Christian Church has failed to support their Islamic brothers. You know what? I'll bet you he could release, uh, you know, like one of those seven hundred page books, and uh, he might even have time to to finish writing the other ones by the time we finish reading the first five. But what do I know? Okay, Fall, last up, I gotta go. I gotta, I absolutely have to go. I got a hard stop time. We are back. We will keep doing podcasts. Um, I just absolutely have to run and do something. We will do it as frequently as we can. It should come out on a more regular basis now. Um, it'll probably be around the same day when it comes out too. Not any much more than that, you know. A lot of our emails were really uh, understanding. Said, "Hey, be infrequent, but don't stop." So we will uh, do our best. So Obama's to appear on NBC Survival Show is going to be on the cutting room floor. <laughs> that should be interesting yes. for Bear Grylls and Hillsboro High School they're, students. They're going to expose global warming happening in us in uh, Alaska. Awesome. Hillsboro High School school students, excuse me, Hillsboro High School students stage walkout over dispute over gen, transgender student, uh, someone who identifies himself as female wants to use the female bathroom. The uh, faculty said no. Students walked out. Said that's pure bigotry. <laughs> so, um, do you have any words of wisdom for us, Andrew? 
Um, well, that just that last story reminded me of when I worked at a hotel and we had to kick some uh, cross-dressing men out of the women's bathroom because the little girls were in there. Yeah. So. Well. Um, but that's, I guess, politically incorrect. It is. You know? It is. Just because you don't want your six-year-old daughter in the same bathroom with some 40-year-old dude in a dress. I, don't, I can't understand why that would bother you. Is that a quote from the Trump Bible? <laughs> Trump Bible coming soon. Just <laughs> I, I, yeah, I believe it's inspired, but I could do better, Donald Trump. <laughs> okay, with that, that's a wrap. I really do have to go. We'll be back to normal next week. Hope to see you guys then, or perhaps. Uh, it's just like I said, maybe infrequent, but uh, we're we're here. We're doing we're doing podcasts. We're not stopping. Yep. Thank you, you for all the support and the outpouring of support. You haven't you haven't heard the end of us. A copy of this podcast, as well as links to each story covered, are available at revelationsradionews.com. To contact Andrew and Tim, or to support Revelations Radio News, please visit revelationsradionews.com and click on the Contact tab or Support tab. Please check out the other podcasts at revelationsradionetwork.com. And thank you for your support of this podcast. Just because you don't want your six-year-old daughter in the same bathroom with some 40-year-old dude in a dress. Trump Bible coming soon.